Hello and welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. This is episode number 57 with James from Veloci Esports and Alfa Romeo F1 Racing. In this podcast, we talk about the crossovers between traditional racing, especially Formula One, and esports and the sim racing. We talk about how serious sim racing is, about how the cars operate at least 95% of how they do on the track in the game. And also, right at the end, we talk about James's plight to win a $1 million racing contract by participating in the esports version of a certain game. It's a fantastic chat. We highlight a lot in here about how different different markets within esports are the differences between the sim racing market and more quote-unquote traditional esports like counter-strike and overwatch etc i learned a lot and i think you will too enjoy the podcast and if you want to see any of the show notes you can head to big esports.gg forward slash five eight you can see anything that we talked about today links to james and to follow him online enjoy Thanks so much for being a listener of this podcast. We've created it really to help increase information sharing and understanding of the esports market. If you'd like to help us out, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you do and make sure to share this with your friends. Hopefully we've been able to provide some fantastic information to you and a bit of a learning experience over this period of time, whether you're looking to skill up, enter the industry, or you're just looking to monitor to see how things are going. If you'd like to put yourself forward as a guest, suggest any others or ask any questions feel free to connect with us at bigesports.gg or on any of the social media platforms at bigesports underscore gg. James, early morning for you. Welcome. How are you? Yes, thank you very much. Quite early. I've, I've had earlier mornings, but um, I'm fine, thank you very much, here in the UK. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks, man. We've got the uh, polar opposites of time right now. For you, it's what, just hitting 7am, <laughs> and for me, it's 5pm, and, and also the polar opposites of weather right now, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's freezing over here. I'm sure it's not some toast in Australia. Yeah, well, we're in Melbourne. It's 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 pretty similar to London sometimes. Where um we got a nice 23, 24 degrees and sunny today, but we're about to be punished for it. Straight after comes 15, 14 degrees and rain. So I'm sure that's what you used to. <laughs> <laughs> it just fluctuates for us, doesn't it? We exchange weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So I mean, well, before we got a lot to talk about because I've got a lot of learning to do about the industry that you're in, as do the people listening to the podcast. But let's just start it off like we always do. Give us a little bit of a background on yourself. Um, you know, your history in, in business and esports, and how that brought you to where you are today. So I'm 22 years old right now. So it all started 14 years ago when I was eight uh, in go-karts as uh, quite a few kids in real racing uh, do this journey. Started in go-karts, won a few championships, uh, progressed onto racing cars in real life again when I was 16 years old uh, for about six months. And then it all crashed and we uh, ran out of money. So Mm -hmm. it's quite a common story in that particular industry. And uh then I had a couple of years of just doing engineering, being a mechanic, you know, nothing to do with esports. Um, but then in 2017, two years ago now, uh, esports started to really boom in the racing sector or sim racing as people know it. And uh, I fortunately bought a cheap simulator. I was competing quite casually just for a bit of fun because um, obviously I stop real racing and i needed the buzz so virtual racing is the nearest thing you can really get to real racing um Mm. 
And from there on, I just won a few competitions and it got a bit more serious with every month, really. And uh, last year in 2018, I joined a team called Veloce Esports, which they were new, but they were definitely taking things extremely seriously. I'd say probably the, t- the first team in sim racing to take it that seriously. And uh, from ever since that moment, I joined them in June 2018. It's just gone from strength to strength competitions have got bigger f1 esports has got bigger gran turismo everything is just boomed at the same time obviously it's still not at the levels of csgo call of duty fifa but it's still compared to where it was three years ago when i first started it it's a massive step forward so it's given the opportunity for people like myself to do this full time uh and it's continuing to grow a uh, rapid rate of knots, uh, as is esports in general, not just racing, but every form of esports is growing. So mm. I think, obviously, I mean, that is pretty much my story in a very brief nutshell. Uh, it's good timing and fortunate timing on my side. Uh, I've been quite lucky in that respect. But um, I'd, I'd say the kind of my ethos or my uh, unique selling point maybe is that I've done real racing from the age of eight years old and I can carry those skills over to the virtual world and it seems to have worked. Mm. Yeah, and, I, and there's a common theme. I th- you know, I've, I've talked in the past to some racing sim providers like modem simulators over here who have so many traditional drivers now are training on their platforms it must be such a prohibitive thing that the whole money component getting into traditional racing right because you've got to i assume you've got to have um specific lights licensing and insurance you've got an expensive Mm. car to operate that you know you may crash into a wall that's that's some repairs engines might blow up etc there's so many running costs involved Exactly. I mean, just to give you an idea of what we're talking about here, I mean, I went into Formula Ford, which is the cheapest form of real racing you can do. And that was mm-hmm. uh, over six months, we spent £20,000, which for mm-hmm. the average person is a lot of money. But then you're looking, if you want to take it seriously and say do Formula 3, for a season of Formula 3, you're looking at around a million pounds mm. for, a, for a year, which is, you know, for majority of people in the world it's not doable at all but you're right you've got within that million pounds you've got insurance costs you've got damage costs you've got just hiring the car and the team and the mechanics and there's so many things to buy and uh invest in when you're a racing driver it's not possible for the majority of people that's where esports comes into it and it's changing the game in that respect um not only is it you know really good for competing online and virtually and, e- and within esports, it's causing a lot of crossovers into real life, which I never thought would happen, but it seems to be becoming a lot more common where an esports competition has a prize at the end of it where you end up being a racing driver. So mm. it's a, a nice, maybe unique point of racing esports compared to the other esports that, you know, for example, Call of Duty can't offer a real life experience at the end of their competitions. You know, yeah, you hope not. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. So neither can FIFA really. So uh, it's mm. definitely unique in that sense. Yeah. So give us a give us a quick snapshot of where the industry is at right now. So you said that you're a full time driver, and is you know I, I assume you're employed as as a racing driver. Can you give me an idea into the industry? What are some common large side of the prize pools within sim racing? How many professional drivers are there in your competition and and you know in the immediate surrounds? 
So there's quite a few racing games on the market, as most people know. Um, and each individual game has its own tournament. So I'd say the top of the pile, if it's pretty easy to start with the best one, is Formula One or F1 Esports, as it's known. Uh, mm-hmm. So Formula One completely govern that. And they, you know, it's on their game. They do all the organizing. They run the championship. Uh, they offer the prize money. And the prize money for this year's F1 Esports, it's the third season they've been doing it. And it's $500,000, the prize pool. Mm-hmm. Um, there's 10 teams so every single team that's on the Formula 1 grid in real life is has an F1 esports team um, and what the real F1 teams are doing are a lot of them are subbing out their work so all the organisation the players the training of the players they're subbing out all that work to official uh, F1 esports teams so for example Alfa Romeo are using or you know, hiring Veloce Esports to run the team for them because they know Veloce are a professional team, they know what they're doing and they could potentially make Alfa Romeo a better team and hopefully challenge for the the title in F1 Esports in 2019. And there's other teams doing that with other esports teams. So that's how F1 Esports works in particular. But for example, there's Gran Turismo that works in a completely different format and in fact has no prize money at all, but it's still regarded Mm. as quite a prestigious thing to go and win. Uh, I've done smaller competitions. So there's a game called Project Cars 2. That was earlier in the year. Very short championship, but had a LAN event, a LAN final, and the the prize money I won in that one was just 2,000 euros. But there's little bits and bobs everywhere, but F1 Esports, in my opinion, is definitely at the top of the pile. Yeah, and it's and it's a super important thing to get across to, to those people listening that is that... Um, Motor racing, you know, sim sim motor racing within esports is a category within a category. And so often when mm. I talk to people, you know, they come to me thinking that esports is just like talking about soccer or football or the NFL, but trying to explain to them that esports as a whole is so many different games. And then yeah. when you're looking at something like motor racing, it's a category within a category. And we, we talked about this a bit off microphone, and I kind of wrote it down to say it again on microphone, is that I feel like within gaming and esports as a whole, there are kind of four subcategories. One, I would say, is PC and console, um, kind of bunched together. Yeah. Another being sim racing that we're talking about today. One being fighting games and everything which is which comes under that category. And also mobile gaming being completely separate again. So like you were saying is that it's a it's almost like a niche within a niche and, and while um sim racing is a lot easier to do than traditional racing it's it's obviously got some barriers of entry right to getting new people into the market having to purchase these expensive products to take part uh yeah i mean it, it's tricky because forza motorsport for example is another game another simulator um but it's aimed at the more casual gamer so you can just use an xbox controller and it's the fastest way to drive on forza motorsport uh they mm. offer loads of LAN events lots of prize money so it's almost on the scale right. of f1 But you're right, the barrier to entry is uh, the equipment needed for practicing for F1, for Gran Turismo. You know, you need a, a, you don't need a rig or a a chassis, but you need a wheel, you need pedals. And of course, you're looking at 400 to 600 pounds, depending on which wheel you get. So that is, that is a big barrier to entry, of course. And not only Mm. that, I don't think the racing esports sector is, well known enough for people to get involved i don't think everyone's well aware of what it is uh how you get into it 
you know, it's, it's very confusing at the moment because it's obviously early days. Not, it's not got a clear path on how you get to the end goal. So, uh, but I think as it grows, you know, people will see or understand more on how you get into it. Uh, what you need to be at the top of that particular industry. And hopefully they make it more accessible. I don't know how they can do that really at the moment unless they reduce the, the price of the wheels and the pedals and stuff. But um, there must be other ways they can make it more accessible just for the, the casual gamer. And you and you mentioned competing in multiple games. I, I see so many um, similarities, I guess, between the fighting games community and the sim racing community. You know, in, in traditional, quote-unquote traditional esports, you don't often see a player being a professional in a League of Legends and an Overwatch at the same time. Whereas in fighting games, what I'll see a lot is a player might be, you know, preferential towards Street Fighter, but also be quite high-placing in, in Tekken and Smash Brothers tournaments. Do you find yeah. the, the same thing in the sim racing community where you're maybe, you know, you, you maybe can rank yourself as number top top four in the world for Formula One, but you're also quite competitive and top 20, you know, in two or three other racing games as well? See. So- yeah, that's a very, very good point. In fact, that's the reason I've, uh, that's kind of my unique selling point within the industry is I've been able to show that I'm quick and at the top of quite a few games. So I've won events on Forza this year. I've won events, um, on Project Cars this year, a set of Corsa, which is another simulator. Uh, and I've been quite quick on F1 as well and Gran Turismo. So it, yeah, very similar to the fine industry in that respect. Um, it's not an easy thing to do because I, I know quite a lot of drivers struggle to do that. So, for example, I know drivers just quick on F1 and they're competing in the F1 Esports Series, which I'm jealous of because I haven't made the cut this year. But mm. they they struggle to go and adapt to Gran Turismo, uh, Project Cars, all these other games. So um, mm. you're right. I mean, in the shooting industry, you know, CSGO and PUBG and all that, you don't really see too much of that. I mean, you could mm-hmm. you could correct me there, but I, I personally, when I watch it, I don't see too many players going from one game to the other. So yeah, I see almost none. The the only real ones I've seen is like in <clears> Australia, <throat> Kanga Esports was very good at Overwatch, and they switched to Paladins, and now they're in the Paladins Pro League. Um, right, but besides that, you, you really don't see that often. You know, I I made a switch from you know played in top four anywhere from number one to number four in Australia for Battlefield Two and Battlefield Bad Company Two, but my switch across the Corona Strike Source was not easy. It was very hard to mm. switch from one to the other, and I definitely couldn't be competitive in both at the same time. And yeah, you definitely don't see that in in other markets. I mean, is is you that see some people? Yeah, is that not much? Is that because you know? At the top of the top of CSGO, for example, if you distract yourself by going onto PUBG, you're going to reduce your level on CSGO. Is that strictly why no one does it? Exactly. Like, when I played CSGO, I had no other games installed on my computer. Um, you know, a, a professional player that I used to manage and sponsor in StarCraft 2, Jared Krenzel, or Pig was his gamer name, he only had StarCraft 2 in his PC. You know, Dan right. King, Quake Live player, top eight in the world in in quake same thing you know nothing installed on his pc except for quake um and because the the fundamental mechanics of the games are so different so a really easy way to explain battlefield is it's a lot less personal skill and aim it's more teamwork and map awareness and positioning yeah um and objectives whereas counter-strike um it's a great game because ultimately if one person can shoot the other person first and has better reaction times and aim you win so yeah, there's yeah. a certain amount of teamwork and such that comes into it, but my personal skill and map awareness didn't matter anywhere near as much in CSGO where it's only 5v5, not 10v10 or 16v16. The maps are a lot smaller, so your positioning in that sense, you can't get that higher ground advantage like you could in a real war zone or in a game like Battlefield where it's more of a simulated war zone, but a more yeah. arcade-type shooter like Counter-Strike is very different. 
Yeah, that makes sense. It's, I mean, it's the same in the racing industry as well. You know, the mechanics or physics of uh, Formula One, completely different to Gran Turismo. Um, so if I mm. find myself over a week practicing one day F1, then Gran Turismo, uh, compared that with a week where I'm just doing F1, my F1 ability will definitely be a lot different. Yeah, and I guess I'd, I'd love to take this opportunity for you to explain that it's some of these games, especially like Project Cars and R Factor, it's not like Mario Kart. You're not holding the accelerator fully down the whole time and turning the steering wheel like you might in Grand Theft Auto. So can you give a bit of an explanation into how these kind of simulators differ from arcade games and how they mirror real car racing? Yeah, so, I mean, arcade games, you know, Forza Motorsport, I put in that sector, or we call it Simcade, so Simulator Arcade, Simcade. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's kind of arcade-ish, but it's got elements of a simulator in it. Um, So, you know, the more realistic sim, or the most realistic sim, in my opinion, is a set of Corsa. Um, And what differs from that to an arcade game is just the pure realism of it. Uh, All the tracks within the simulator are laser scanned from real life. So they're bang identical to how the track is when it got laser scanned in real life. The curves are the same. Mm. The distances between corners, the width of the track, everything is just identical. The cars have, uh, the physics have been tested by real racing drivers to say that feels how it does in the game or in real life. Uh, The setups, uh, the way you can change, for example, roll bars, suspension, um, you know, everything is exactly the same as it would be in real life and even the way the tires behave the weather uh the way the cars you know bounce off each other if you have a crash everything is just identical whereas in an arcade game the game developers are just kind of guessing you know and it's never going to be anywhere near real life so i mean honestly you can tell the difference by playing it really it's hard to explain it's but you're better off going off and trying it really Mm, yeah and you know, I guess ex- explaining again that just like with these different first-person shooter games, all of these cars off you obviously operate differently, right? Like if you're driving a Formula One car, it's not going to function the same as, you know, a heavy V8 supercar like it will in Australia. Exactly. So I, I assume those things come through and oh yeah, you know, some people have preferential treatment to others. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean... I mean, it's a simulator. So, how the car would feel in real life, it feels on the simulator. I mean, no, obviously, you can never get 100% because, you know, I'm not moving at 200 miles an hour. I'm not experiencing 5G for a corner. That's never going to be fully replicated. But, you know, mm. the, the speed going for a corner, for example, turn one at Silverstone, you know, in a Formula One car, you're going to be doing about 200 miles an hour through there. In the simulator, you would also be doing that in the Formula One car. But with a V8 supercar, for example, you're looking at more about 130, 140 miles an hour. And that definitely is replicated on the simulator. So, uh, mm. yeah. But on an arcade game, it's no, it's not as realistic, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and this is, I guess, why for the casuals like me, uh, I prefer or, or can only really play the arcade games where you can hold down the go button and uh, move the stick left and right. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> the driver assist and, and such will, will help you out much more than, you know, a real sim will. And I, and I think that it's hard, you know, I, I went to Modem Sim here in Melbourne, who's, you know, eight-way pneumatic VR simulator where they strap you in um, with oh, the yeah, full, yeah, yeah. you know, eight-point harness and it, it's really sensory overload. It feels like you're in the car. And, you know, I drove a Zonda and I couldn't get more than 100 metres without spinning out every single time. Like, it's <laughs> really hard and you don't get that appreciation as a normal you know boy racer car driver you know myself a few years ago lovely loving to go to a track day in my normal car fanging around in my subaru it's, it's nothing yeah. like that at all the professional racing circuit 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Veloce Esports team I'm in has a tool which is really useful for the drivers within it, and that's they've got a hundred thousand pound simulator downstairs in their headquarters, um, and it's very similar to the one you described. It's it's motion. It's got hydraulics which move around. Uh, the the wheel it uses can provide like forty newton meters of torque or force wow. feedback, which is quite a lot. So it gives you quite a good feel for what the car's doing, and it's got a wraparound screen so you're fully immersed into the environment. So using that and then go- going doing a competition which could involve driving real life racing cars really helps um mm. but you know there there is a place for someone that is has never experienced real racing uh, and can't afford a simulator and that you know forza motorsport for example is a great place to start because all you need is the game an xbox and a controller and just practice and get to know people and find out all the tips and tricks and you can definitely find a way into racing esports that way i feel so retouching on the professionalization of the industry and and that kind of stuff. What what does a training day or a week or a month for you look like? Like, are you functioning as a professional athlete where you're, you know, watching your diet and exercise and, and training a certain amount of hours a day? How does that work? Yeah, so uh, I like to think real racing and virtual racing is not too different in that respect. Obviously, I don't have to be as physically fit because I'm not moving uh, and I'm not battling or fighting a racing car around a real track, but I'm still doing it virtually. So I, I go to the gym, you know, three, four times a week just to stay in shape, just in case I ever got the call up to go and do a real racing event. So I like to keep mm-hmm. myself ready for that opportunity. Uh, Diet-wise, I'm you know, keeping it nice and healthy, uh, just watching it. I'm not like on a keto diet or anything, but I'm just make, making sure I'm not eating the wrong stuff too much, you know, everything in moderation. Uh, but a typical training day, for example, when I was practicing for F1 Esports earlier in the year with my teammates, we were doing seven to nine hours a day. Uh, obviously with breaks in between so we're not just you know going around in circles we're making sure we're doing very constructive and informative practice um mm. but that's that's the kind of level you need at this in racing esports is seven to nine hours a day usually consistently making sure you're learning everything about the game all the tips all the tricks and you know obviously you know standard stuff like drink plenty of water and electrolytes all those kind of things uh so i like to think we take it very seriously um but I'm not actually too. Uh, I'm not, I don't know too much about how the CS:GO, Call of Duty, FIFA scenes prepare in that sense. Uh, I don't know if you could help me out in that front. Yeah, for sure. Like, and if you and and for those listening, you know, a Tier One Counter Strike team will often live together in the same house. Um, you know, like a lot of the Overwatch teams will have a supplied chef and such as well. So they've got no living mm. expenses and as minimal living pressure as possible. And talking to some League of Legends players in Australia. You know, they really like that because it means they can focus 100% of their attention on the game. They're not worrying about when the power bill's due or even really cleaning up besides just cleaning up after themselves Yeah. Um, and that kind of general thing. So they're able to focus, wake up, you know, chill out and then focus on the game as much as possible. And yeah, a lot of them are in a training regimen of seven, eight hours a day. You know, they're doing um, personal practice, they're doing team strategy sessions and debriefs and, and counter strategy of, of um, the opposing team they're about to compete against. Um a lot of teams will have, you know, three days a week gym regiment where they all go together at, you know, two o'clock to the gym. Uh, personal trainers supplied or not, depending on who they are. Um, yeah. yeah, and they're kind of living and, and working as a troop. There is a, a lot of movement in the space to go more towards training facilities now as well, so people can have their privacy, live at home and turn up almost like work. Um, but, you know, through OHS requirements and such too, most of the teams you have an eight hour training regiment, but then the players will go off themselves and train for another three, four, five hours themselves yeah. whether they're streaming um you know content creating where they're doing personal practice playing pickup games working with sponsors 
um, on the top. Oh, yeah, right. Often, often they do that kind of stuff as well, and they're very much treated like you know professional athletes, and they're required to if they're in a franchise league like Overwatch or um, or the upcoming Call of Duty twenty twenty World League. You know they've got minimum salaries to be paid, they've got minimum living benefits, health and dental because it's the US and things like that too. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, uh, racing esports is. It's a little, I'd say, a, a tier below that. I mean, you know, all the drivers in F1 esports, for example, are on a salary, um, which is is good stuff. They all get flown over. You know, unfortunately, it was maybe a week before the event, so it's, I'd say the preparation times are a bit less in terms of. I feel it's good, like you, to put all the players in one house. You know, make sure they're working every day together, going to the gym together, just bonding as a team. You know, I think it's quite important. Yeah. Uh, and I'd say we did that in a way, but it's nowhere near the level that, say, you've just explained. So we we came over for event one of F1 Esports. We came over, I think it was four days before the event. Um, we were okay. staying at an Airbnb in London near the headquarters. So we were staying at the Airbnb, going to the headquarters. There, but there was no gym involvement. There was no you know specific training. It was just us drivers were kind of... Uh, expected to make a plan on how we were going to practice so you know that could lead to us missing things out so it was just a little bit less organized as what you explained with the csgo teams but it's definitely getting towards that level yeah and and what you're what you're explaining is definitely um you know that's that's what esports was like in these other games not too long ago you know you, yeah. you, you would often have a boot camp you know australian team would qualify for an overseas tournament they fly over three weeks early and boot camp, wow. you know, even as far back as the Heroes in New Earth team that I worked with, which was a MOBA game that's um, not really around anymore. Um, team TD Esports, you know, they were the second, third best in the world, and and mostly from Australia. And the same thing, they'd fly over a month before DreamHack, and they'd you know kind yeah. of live in an Airbnb together and play out of Internet Cafe for that period of time, making sure you can gel together as a team and yeah, um, you know, really get in get in the mood in the moment, just like a fight camp does in UFC or you know, yeah, yeah, players. Yeah come over early for a tournament. It's exactly the same kind of setup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully mm. the racing sector goes towards that even more over the next few years. But I think all mm. the, these new, you know, brands and companies are just learning about it. So they don't understand the importance of uh, bonding as a team and all these kind of things, uh, maybe as good as they could. I mean, I think if you have players eventually taking over the organisation of these companies, they might enforce that more because they know as a player you need to do all these things to make sure you're at the top level going into an event. So, I mean, we'll wait and see, really. Mm. What's the um, response like for the traditional Formula One fans when they see esports? Uh, it's mixed. Um, mm. So, to start with, it was uh, borderline hated. You know, mm. I mean, if an esports uh, post was uh, tweeted or Instagrammed on the official F1 e- or Formula One channel... Uh, with like 3 million followers, mm. it would just get crucified. Uh, you know, get a separate account for esports and we don't want to see it on the real Formula One channel and all this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Over time, over the last year, it's kind of gone the other way. So I'd say it's about 50-50 now. Um, mm-hmm. And I think as they continue to share it and F1 esports improves and the quality improves and the stream improves and the drivers improve and the money does as well, what that's going to do is, you know, it's more serious. More people are going to get interested, and eventually, hopefully, one day it'll be a hundred percent of people are happy. Mm. What and do you do you see um, the crossover? I guess from people, you know, being introduced to it through esports and then following the traditional aspect of it. Do you think maybe it's even a threat long term, or not even a threat? Maybe a better thing long term. 
where you know they stop um you know they they stop the the real races as 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 much as they are and focus a little bit more on esports in the future do you foresee a future like that uh yeah i mean it's hard to say really but i don't i don't think the aim here is to attract a 60 year old bloke who's watched formula 1 for 50 years i think mm. you know the, the the key here is for Formula One to attract new people coming into the sport and maybe also nicking people from other esports as well to watch Formula One esports, um, you know. But using the Formula One channels on the socials is obviously quite a big thing because there's just so many people watching that account that, you know, they're going to attract people naturally. So, but um, yeah, I mean, I actually forgot what your question was. <laughs> Yeah, it was more so, I guess it was a couple of pronged things. It was leading into, do some of these traditional fans see the esports as a threat? And I guess wider thinking is, what what do you not get out of an esports experience that you do get out of a real Formula One experience? Uh, yeah, so I mean, that's a good point. They, they maybe see it as a threat. Um, I don't think the majority do see it as a threat. I think the majority just don't understand uh, what esports maybe is because a lot of Formula yeah. One fans are sixty, you know, years old or above, which is not a bad thing, obviously. But you know, when they've been watching real life racing for fifty years, I can imagine maybe seeing a computerized virtual race is a bit silly. I mean, that's mm. just from an outsider's perspective. I can kind of see why they think that. Yeah. Um, but what you get from an esports race that you don't get in real life is and it's been proven you know over the last three seasons is you get more overtaking you get you, you can bend the rules a lot more as well because you can make a game to produce good entertainment whereas in real life there's so many limitations um mm. you know the way the dirty air works behind a car makes overtaking difficult uh they have rules in place for pit stops you know whereas esports it does have that at the moment but the way the games work, you just get more overtaking. It's more exciting to watch. The races are shorter, and when things are shorter, they're naturally more exciting. Um, sprint races, for example, are a lot more exciting than an endurance race. Um, mm. And it's just a bit of a different dynamic, really. And we're still learning as an industry what to make, what to do to make it better. Whereas I think Formula One at the moment in real life is a bit of a... It's not dying, of course not, but it's it's a bit stale and it's been stale for a few years and I think a lot of people can agree on that. So uh, mm. I think the esports has injected a bit of fresh air into the whole industry, to be honest. And the um, the, the difference in um, funding needed to, you know, create both of these events is absolutely astronomical, I think. And, you know, it's yeah, such yeah. A, it, it must be such an upside thinking from the Formula One aspect of things. You know, if, if they want to run an, an F1 esports tournament, you know, like for, for, like for anyone listening, if, if you want to run like a AAA Dota 2 tournament where you've got 10,000 spectators, it's, it's about 1.2 million to run that in AUD, to run a real high quality, you know, if you've got a million dollar prize pool thing. Imagine how much it is to run this Formula One and how much all these teams are paying, you know, to ship over multiple cars oh. from, you know, Germany to Melbourne, um, bring over your staff. You know, I've, I've started watching... Um, a few videos about the national, the NFL in the US, about the logistics. Right. They have to hire a literal jet to bring their team over with all of their equipment. You know, they've Blimey. got five people on staff in one, five staff members just for one single team, and all they do is equipment. They look after the helmets and the jerseys and make sure there's no rips in them and they get to the right place at the right time. Five people salaries just for that. And Incredible. like you're saying with esports, you don't have any of those issues. You don't have to wait for pit lane. People don't get injured. Um, yeah, but, exactly. you know, the, the difference always is, I guess, the same as what people 
um, talk down about Formula E or even just about um, electric cars in general is you don't get the sound and that mm. kind of feeling, you know, that you do from, you know, like in the past, a, a screaming V8 engine in an F1 or, or, you know, the difference, slightly difference that they have today. That's that's part of the difference. But I feel like a lot of that's made up. If you go to a Counter-Strike tournament and you are at uh, Intel Extreme Masters in Sydney, there's 10,000 people screaming because the bomb's planted and explodes and there's bass everywhere and lights and, yeah. you know, confetti coming from the ceiling. You do get a similar aspect to that because no one argues too much that if you go to watch, um, you know, that if you go to watch music live, it's not a great thing. And it's, it's, very similar. Yeah, I mean, I, I went to a Call of Duty World League uh, land final when I think it was two years ago now, and the atmosphere was electric. Like you know, when people were getting clutches at the end of rounds at search and destroy, and the the crowd was just going mental. And that atmosphere is amazing. Like it's not the same as being at a Grand Prix, for example, but it's not worse. It's just different. Um, mm. But. You know, with esports, I don't think the the aim here is to get rid of real life and just have esports. I think they're two different things. So, if you want to have that particular buzz where you go to a Grand Prix and listen to a, a V6 now screaming at 200 miles an hour, you can. But if you want yeah. that different atmosphere of going to an esports event, and you know, with 20 drivers in the one room, uh, you know, overtaking each other, you know, arguing on stage, that kind of atmosphere you can have that as well. You know, they're two different things completely. I don't think the aim here is to get rid of one and have one other. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're right though. Land finals, uh, at the top level of esports, they're amazing to watch. And the other advantage is it's a participatory sport. You, no one, you know, you can, the, the, the average fan cannot just jump into an F1 car and do what Daniel Ricardo's just done. Yeah. Um, and you know, want to, want to, championship and stand on stage etc but in esports there's literally games like starcraft 2 where you can do this where you can download a replay of a professional game and you can actually continue to play from any time from the mm. eyes of, of your professional person so you can be you can literally put yourself within those scenarios and you can be the professional in that aspect and you see that a lot in esports when you know, we work at a Playside Studios here, a 55-person games development studio. And when the Dota 2 International was coming up, everyone quit whatever games they were playing, primarily Fortnite, to start playing Dota 2. When the Intel right. Extreme Masters for, for CSGO came up in, in um, Sydney, in Australia, everyone stopped playing whatever game they were playing. They started playing CSGO for a period of time because they get sucked into that atmosphere. And you don't see that in sports necessarily. You don't see the no. Australian Football League Grand Final come up, everyone stops watching soccer, and they start playing AFL in the streets. It doesn't happen like that. But no. in gaming, it's, it's much more of a participatory sport that you can become involved. And I definitely wanted to touch on again like you were saying before about the negative negativity around the you know traditional fans looking into the market i always find that a really interesting one about you know whether uh, sports getting into the market should they create a separate media outlet or should they brave it through and um you know put it on the main channel what what are your thoughts about that yeah i mean i think if they did that it, it would it would struggle to maybe grow as fast as it is um just because hmm. it's not got as many people, you know, seeing it, uh, you know, obviously that Formula One channel could retweet or repost all all of the F1 esports stuff. But I think for the moment, uh, Formula One have their clear way of they, how they want to do things. I don't know why they're doing it. My view is, I think they're doing the right thing. I think uh, they're posting it in the most popular area because it needs to grow before we can start, you know, s sitting back and saying it's good enough. Uh, I think it's got to grow a lot more. 
to be at the levels we want it to be at, you know, the levels of Dota, CSGO, etc. If it'll ever get to that level, I don't know. Um, obviously, CSGO and Call of Duty, they're all growing as well. So, um, But at the same time, I don't think it's a competition between the, the different esports. I just think we want to make racing esports as big as possible. So... At the moment, I think they are doing the right thing. Yeah, and like I, I see some of the arguments with traditional sports. The very common thing that I see a lot is why are you diverting funds to this when you should be putting it into the the core game? And this happens with every business too, right? When right. you know your your shareholders might say, "Why are you working on, um, I don't know, a TikTok account when you should be working on you know your YouTube, which you're known for, or, or something yeah. like that too, right?" And it makes some sense. You see that with the esports teams that um. Yeah. A, you know, purchased by traditional sporting teams. Um, you know, common thing is, well, you're not number one on the football ladder. Why are you purchasing an esports team and diverting funds to that space? But yeah. like you said, it's it's a great part of the growth and there's no reason that they can't operate side by side. And, you know, I've read in the past about some awesome crossovers where um, sim people who've come from the sim racing background have actually beaten a Formula One driver. I think it was in some sort of time trial obstacle course thing. Do you have awareness of that? Uh, yeah, so... A good example is I was at the Race of Champions, uh, which is like a one-off real-life racing event with 20 of the most you know, skilled drivers in real life. Um, so, for example, Sebastian Vettel was there, uh, Petter Solberg, Tom Christensen, you know, big, big names in real racing. Um, and there was two sim racers. So there was myself and there was another guy called Enzo Benito who drives for the McLaren F1 esports team. And uh, he in real life, beat Lucas Degrassi, who used to race in Formula 1 in 2010 uh, by eight tenths of a second in a 50-second race, which is quite a big margin. And in front of a stadium audience of 14,000 people uh, in real cars against a Formula 1 driver, he beat him. And it was it was quite a big moment for the whole industry. You know, Formula 1 uh, on Twitter and Instagram was you know, raving about it, you know, our simulator driver has just beat our real life driver and the whole kind of situation just boomed. And I think, you know, it was everywhere, absolutely everywhere. I mean, every motorsport journalistic um, uh, magazine or anything like that was publicizing the whole situation. Uh, and it, it, stuff like that really does help. I know it's not uh, maybe the most important thing in the world, but it just shows how mm. good simulator drivers actually are, you know, at, at yeah. the driving discipline. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And like you were saying too, it's super professional, right? They use those the the laser measurements to make sure that the track is literally identical and they're using real racing drivers to jump in the sim and, and to you know verify that yes this Formula Three car feels like it does, you know, on yeah, the I mean, in real life. At the race of champions, the, the competition was if you win the simulator part, you drive in the real life competition. So I was on a set of Corsa. It was a laser scan track and I was practicing on the track in real life and in the simulator in the same car. And I honestly said at the time, I was like, it's 95% of the way there. It was so similar. The way you drive the car around that track, the, the barriers and how they, how close you can get to them and all these kind of things. It, it was so similar. It was uncanny i didn't think it would be that similar so um mm. in, in that respect realism is definitely very close and do you do you foresee as the scene starts to professionalize even more that that, that will be the way it goes where the, the drivers are strapped into these eight-way pneumatics with the 14 unit meters of torque on the steering wheel and full virtual reality headsets on etc that it becomes a fully real experience bar some of the g-force i i think that could be a good idea because if you've got a motion rig, it's all moving. There's an extra dynamic there. Yeah, the VR would obviously make them more immersed. Um, 
yeah, I, I think it could be a, a a good thing to do. Uh, but it's going to be a hard thing to do as well because of hardware issues. So um, maybe not now, but I think, yeah, I think as we progress as, a, as an industry, you know, LAN events maybe should have more realistic, more expensive rigs. Um, I think that could be a good thing. Yeah, definitely find an interesting one. And, you know, like Modem Sims, who who does that, and, and I had um, Simon from from Modem Sims and, um, you know, his racing team on here too. I, I had a go, and it's a, it's a crazy sensory experience. You really are in the car, and everywhere you look around, you can see, and you can see your own hands, and you've got that steering wheel, you've got the eight-point harness that's really strapping you in, and, you know, it's scary to to crash. <laughs> you feel like you are going to hit a wall, and the and the whole thing shakes, and, yeah, it's it's very very interesting experience for sure. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, in if you look at it in the in the sense that the top of the top of racing esports, maybe it should have the top top equipment. You know that mm. that gives it that prestigious kind of feel and that elitism. Um, but at the same time, you want to keep it accessible. You know, if you start putting all this expensive hardware onto it, then it's going to make it really hard for people to get into the industry. So yeah, it's just trying to find the balance, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's an interesting thing exercise, I guess, as a as an esports scene professionalizes, you can start to you know, make up your mind about things. And I find yeah. it really interesting within the motor racing that so many of the traditional motor racing tournaments have now gotten into this space. You don't see that so much globally. You know, globally, the NBA is, um, you know, running their NBA 2K E-League um, in Australia with football, you know, soccer, the Hyundai A-League here does run their own E-League, but you don't see it much besides that. There's no global FIFA league that's really tightly tied in with the clubs. There's no, you know, global league for other games too and you know even t- to add to the motor racing pile i've seen too the motor gp the the um yeah you know motorbikes have now added an esports contingent too so it's really cool to see that um you know i guess an industry that isn't so much known for technology and more so you know motor racing hasn't always been one that's been known for technology as much as basketball has for example has really gotten to yeah this point where they're really supportive of this new idea yeah yeah i think uh, there is a lot of movement. There's a lot of big brands, big companies, big organisations getting involved. You know, there's a competition I'm doing at the end of or the start of November, and it's the FIA uh, Motorsport Games. And what it is is the FIA attempting to make esports or racing esports an Olympic game. Um, so it's over four days, and it's just an esports competition. There's no real life involvement at all. Um, but what they're going to do is showcase how good this eSport event can be. It's on the Gran Turismo game and the FIA completely organizing it and arranging everything. And if it goes well, they're going to go to the Olympics and say, look, this this is what how good eSports can be. Uh, whether the Olympics decide to use racing as the eSports or they can use another game, I don't know. But it's definitely... There's, there's so many big organizations getting involved and it's really good to see. Hmm. And where do you... I mean, where do you see it? happening i mean it's so hard in esports to and i I hate being that other you know yet another person that says hey where do you predict it to be but you know judging by you and where you've seen the industry come from in the past three years you know within the next three to five years do you see these kind of tournaments having these you know million dollar prize pools with with dozens of international full-time talent and this same thing that we see in overwatch with you know chefs and team houses etc yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, I mean, F one Esports two years ago didn't have a prize. Oh, it was twenty five thousand dollars the prize pool. Last year it was two hundred thousand dollars, and now it's five hundred. So that growth is just mental. I mean, 
judging by that trend next year, it will be like $1.4 million. So, uh, I mean, that's naturally going to grow because F1 Esports and Formula One, I think, will pump more money into it. Um, but, you know, competitions from every game will obviously improve, not just Formula One. Teams naturally are getting bigger. You know, Veloce are growing. Uh, they started off, obviously, with not that big a following, and now they are getting there. You know, they're, they're as big as some of the UK-based CSGO teams. They have their own CSGO team now, Veloce, their own Rocket League team. Uh, they've got a Fortnite player as well. Uh, they're growing in all other areas, um, but they're quite keen to remain as the racing is the heart of their esports team. So mm. I think using all of these other industries within esports to grow their team will grow racing as well. I do think Veloce are like the market leaders in that space. Um, but yeah, I mean, as you said earlier, how the hell can you predict what, what's going to happen in esports? You can't really. But for sure, it's, I think racing esports definitely can get to the level that you know shooting games are at now. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting to... Really interesting that development. Can you touch on again um, and tell some people just some of the brands and teams that are involved in this process? Like you mentioned that all of the Formula One, um, you know, driving teams have their own players. What sort of support are they providing? And and are we talking, you know, Ferrari and Mercedes and these kind of people really getting hands on? Yeah. So uh, I I don't, you know, first of all, the brands involved are every F1 team on the grid. So Ferrari, Mercedes, Renault, Red Bull, yeah. Alfa Romeo, obviously, that's the one I'm heavily involved with. So it's probably best to talk about them. Um, mm. Alfa Romeo involved, uh, you know, with the F1 esports series and the way they go about their business is, you know, they, they, they look after us really well. They provide a budget, you know, that, you know, ensures we all as drivers get salaries. We go to some of the Grand Prix. This year I went to Silverstone. Danny went to Hungary. Um, you're in the hospitality in the paddock, which is a very expensive thing if you want to go and do, if you haven't been invited. Um, we went in the pits. We listened to the team radio while the guys were racing in real life. It was such an immersive experience. And we met pretty much all of the Alfa Romeo team. We met the drivers, Kimi Raikkonen and Giovinazzi. We were talking to them. We, we were treated very well. Um, the way Alfa Romeo gets their esports team competitive is using or paying for Veloce esports services uh, and Veloce will look after everything esports related. So the social media accounts, the training of the drivers, the selection of the drivers, the looking after of the drivers at events. You know, I was talking about earlier, we stayed at an Airbnb and went to the headquarters to train before the events. Um, and I think that's probably the most effective way for such a brand like Alfa Romeo to do their business because uh they don't know too much about esports, and why would they? They've had no involvement with esports before. That's why mm. they're, they're getting Veloce to give their expertise and knowledge of the industry to get the results. Because, like everything in esports, results drive the the teams, the drivers. It's a result driven business, as is real racing. So, yeah, and. And with someone like Formula One, what what do you see as the main benefits of them becoming involved in the audience? You you mentioned before, you know, an aging demographic, which is plaguing every single sport. Um, You know, what do you think they're most interested in with this sim racing and and esports aspect? Uh, Can you repeat the question just so I maybe can understand it? Yeah, no worries. It's it's more so about um, you know what what are the main reasons for um, you know MotoGP, Formula One, et cetera, et cetera, getting into this esports space. Do you think it's primarily the aging demographic ah, of their okay. traditional sport? They're wanting to reach more youngsters, or is it something else as well on top? 
I, well, yeah, I think the way they're going to attract new people is moving with the times, obviously. I mean, uh, a lot of people now don't watch too much TV. They're watching YouTube and Twitch and uh, Mixer and all these kind of things. Um, so they can't just ignore it. They can't just carry on the way they're going. They have to move with the times as everything does. Um, but uh, I think they're not doing it to get themselves bigger, you know, instantly. It's more of the long-term view on it. Um, I think is seeing all these big esports like Dota and CS:GO and that they have to know how big they are because everyone knows, you know, how big these other esports are. So I think, yeah, the element of uh, getting themselves within esports for the the long term is very important. I think younger people are starting to get into higher roles in these industries as well, and obviously younger people are more aware of esports. So that naturally is going to push these big companies towards the esports route. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're just, you know, thinking of the long term, really. Mm, yeah, yeah. And I think you're right. And, you know, to, to add a bit of extra with that, with the traditional sports codes that, that we talk to here in Australia, um, there's a few things, you know, there's the aging demographics, the obvious one, like you said. I did some quick Googling before and the Formula One um revealed um earlier this year i think it was the in in january that their audience only 14 percent of their viewers are under 25 years old which is you know a prime um kind of esports market of you know 18 to 36 in in the wider market um yeah so you know the average golf fan is is in the 50s the average nfl fans in their 50s etc so it makes sense to reach that younger demographic also you know being digitally native so these kind of people that are more likely to to engage and and become part of the ecosystem you know with the content and the digital and then some of the other problems i find is around live is that so many people don't like the fan activations at sports events and they hate the halftime entertainment so is there some way that they can be more so, you know, inclined to doing things they enjoy? Say gaming, for example, might be able exactly. to come into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, getting people in earlier as well is a big one that, that we come across with ball sports. They tell us people don't want to come in before the bounce. So can we do some gaming and influencer activations live, you know, or run an esports circuit that happens beforehand? Because unfortunately, as much as people would like... Um, to have a community there, they don't always turn up for the tier two, tier three sport games that might happen before, you know, like generally before a major rugby league um, yeah, match yeah, in yeah. Australia, they'll have the tier two that plays beforehand. So maybe could that be supplemented with some sort of esports or gaming activity? And then also keeping people as a captured audience for longer. You know, talking to companies um, like in the golfing space, which operate as almost like a five-day festival when they play, you know, the people are leaving at 5 p.m. to go off into a town and have dinner somewhere else. You know, can they keep them on the green for longer as a captured audience, not mm. only coming in earlier, but also keeping them longer and later into the night? And, you know, and once again, maintaining relevance to that younger market. You know, if if there's the traditional cliche sometimes where the dad will drag along the kid, the kid will hate you know, the activity because they're not interested in it. Yeah. Maybe if the kid can go off and play even some Fortnite, which is, you know, something that's interesting to them, can they then build a positive experience around the F1, want to go next time, and then start to then become interested in the F1 as a result? Yeah, I think, that, as we were talking about earlier, that's maybe the way we're the only way to attract the new up-and-coming generation is with esports. Um because naturally, I think the majority of the younger generation will go towards esports. There was a, I'd done a series or a competition, a land final um, on Forza Motorsport this year, and it was at the Le Mans 24 hour race. 
in France. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously that was going on around us. Uh, in the centre of the, the circuit, there was a, an esports tent and that's where the LAN final was taking place. So when the real life race started, we started the virtual race. And like the real life race, it was 24 hours. So it was a team event and, you know, people from the public can just walk in and walk out and have a look, you know, with their kids and, you know, really get involved. So that obviously interested a lot of the kids. But after the event had finished, the kids were then allowed to go on the rigs we were using and really get a feel for the the, for, uh, the game Forza. And it was using a wheel and pedals, so they didn't have to pay for anything. It was all free. And I think stuff like that, you know, obviously on a bigger scale in the future, you know, with Formula One and stuff, that could really help get a lot of people into the industry Mm. yeah no i think we're i think we're definitely on the on the same market with that or this this, you know the same page opinion yeah 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 and there's been you know there's been so much we chatted about today and it's i just want to touch on again for those people listening because i guess we've kind of got three categories of people that listen to the podcast quite often you know those who are looking at a job or an entry into the industry those who are within that are looking to advance their knowledge and you know maybe their job prospects or, or company or career and then also people outside the industry looking in for information mm-hmm. just explaining once again that you know it's so different the ecosystem within this sim racing and sim community it's just so vastly different to how the games operate and the fighting games and mobile and different countries prefer different games and this kind of stuff so even for yeah, me yeah. as someone who's you know a quote-unquote esports consultant as, as kind of dirty as that word is especially on <laughs> linkedin you know i'm still learning so much about this space and i can't profess that you know I, I can't say that hey i know everything about f1 esports and such because there's just so many intricacies um that that just don't exist in other sports with yours yeah i mean it's technical it's it's a very you know there's a lot of stuff to understand um Mm. and i hope i've tried to explain it in the best way possible but there are from an overview if we had an overview for example it'd just be there's loads of different games um f1 is at the top of the pile um um, it's all growing it's still as an industry trying to understand what route to take what is the the leading game and yeah i mean the thing is with you know the shooting industry for example i mean is there a standout game or you know has it got all of these big games like call of duty csgo dota example overwatch they're all equally as big or is there one standout would you say yeah, you can generally rank them in different tiers. So so quite often, um, I mean, an easy metric is via viewership of the tournaments. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Tier one and t- tier one strongly is, is CSGO and Overwatch, you would say, sit into there. Um, and similar with even the um, MOBA-style games, you know, League of Legends and Dota sit strongly in the tier one, whereas, um, you know, a game like Call of Duty is probably more so in the tier two. Because if you look at a Call of Duty Global Championship, from memory, you know, the global finals and the grand finals of which may get somewhere between sixty and 120,000 concurrent viewers, right. whereas CSGO um, reached a million concurrents during E-League, I think 2017 or 2018, during the grand finals of that. Um, yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, the Dota, Dota 2 and League of Legends, you know, million plus, um, depending on what markets, and not including China. You know, I think the League of Legends ones acclaim something up to you know, a hundred million plus viewers or something crazy like that. Or wow. but I think they've they've rescinded back to forty four million. But still, that's a lot of people either way. So yes, yeah, definitely yeah. there's yeah, there's definitely different tiers, yeah, within the traditional esports market. You know, even games like Paladins and such in tier two and, and often you can more so easily understand what that um 
you know, what they are just by their viewership numbers. And I guess a, a follow-up question off the back of that for you then is, can you help me to understand more about the sim racing industry and the health outside of the teams? Are there supportive companies? Are there many influencers? Like, what does the supplementary side of the industry look like besides the professional teams, tournaments and players themselves? So uh, there's obviously quite a few content creators um, that grow quite quickly and they're at the forefront of the industry if you like um and they're doing stuff as simple as you know career modes on formula one offline not even online um there's other content creators that are doing you know realism and they're trying to replicate real life um jimmy broadbent for example does quite a lot of hot lap videos um live streams trying to replicate real life he's at three hundred thousand plus subs now uh, another guy, Tim McMardock, just does uh, career mode on the Formula One game, so offline gaming, but he's mm. at 400,000 subs. So you've got these content creators kind of showcasing how fun and interactive these games and simulators can be. Um, in terms of external companies outside of esports, there's not too many, I'd say. Uh, there's the teams, there's the organizations for the competitions. Uh, there's sponsors, of course, like Logitech and stuff like that, but there's not really any other form of company. I mean, there's a few performance agencies that are trying to get involved with the racing sector, um, but they're really they're just scraping the surface at the moment. They're not really getting mm-hmm. too involved. Uh, they're a bit uneducated um, as to what racing esports is. But, I mean, it's, it's still growing, as we were talking about earlier, the games in terms of how big they are. You know, your CSGO and Overwatch comparisons would be Gran Turismo and F1, and then the games after that filter down. Um mm. And it's all it's all because of what they've put in. You know, Formula One and Gran Turismo have put in the most, or for Gran Turismo, it's a company called Polyphony Digital. They've put the most money, the most effort into the events, into the into the tournaments, and that's why they've got back what they've got. You know, they get the most viewership you know, on all their live streams. And uh, I mean, it's nowhere near the numbers as, as to what you've just described, but um, it's a good starting point. So I think. As we see the the industry grow, more of these external companies will get involved. It's just at the moment, it's a bit unknown as to what they can get out of it. Mm. So if someone wants to follow you and and your journey uh, within this market and hopefully watch you watch, watch you win some more tournaments, where can they do so online? Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Veloce James with three A's, uh, just so we don't get confused. Uh, <laughs> I do a lot of Twitch live streams as well, uh, Veloce James on that, and YouTube again, Veloce James. I do quite a lot of videos uh, showcasing how quick you can be on the F1 games, and I do quite a few vlogs as well of my real-life experiences. So, yeah, if you want to come and watch that, uh, that'd be good. But thank you for having me on the podcast, Chris. I really appreciate it, mate. Yeah, no worries at all, mate. And, and what's coming up next for you? What, what tournaments are you competing in? Are you looking forward to any large live events, whether real racing or digital? So I leave for America in three days. Uh, This Thursday, I'm going to California for a two-week competition. It's called World's Fastest Gamer. Uh, and the prize for the winner, there's 10 com- uh, competitors, and the winner gets a million-dollar package driving for Aston Martin next year in real life. So Wow. It's a big one. Yeah, it's a, bit, it's a really good one. They assess you on many things, so fitness, your simulator driving ability, your media uh, compatibility, and your real-life driving ability as well. So I like to think mm. I stand a good chance, but we'll see. And I've got the FIA Motorsport Games, uh, which I talked about earlier, trying to make esports an Olympic game. And uh, there's loads of stuff coming up next year. F1 Esports, Gran Turismo. I just need to kind of decide what's the best route for me. 
And you know what's crazy? I can't believe I didn't bring this up before. The fact of um, almost like competitions or reality shows where the winner wins a spot in a traditional team outside mm. of the racing industry, it's it's honestly a joke. Most of the time that happens because there's no way that someone's going to play in a League of Legends tournament and then they're just going to win a, a spot on Fnatic, you know, one of the biggest teams in the world. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. so much more that has to go into it, right? Of course. And also it's not explicable, but it's it, it's another way to show that the industry is different. Like something that becomes kind of a meme and a joke within one industry is perfectly yeah, yeah, legitimate yeah, yeah. And, and the way to do it within another. If you win that contract or whoever wins that contract, what, what is it for? Is, is that for Formula one what's the game based off so if i win the contract it's uh it's not formula one um but it's aston martin's uh gt4 and gt3 packages so they're <laughs> like uh they're in the le mans race for example they're not the quickest cars but they look like your road cars but they're just a bit more race prepped um so the whole package comes to a million dollars so that's driving in two series gt4 to start with then you progress to gt3 and there's fitness stuff involved driver coaching you basically become a racing driver for the full year so what that does give you the chance to show is if you are quicker than the real drivers uh, because you'll have teammates of course then you could potentially uh Uh, what's the word you could potentially shoot yourself into the stardom of being a racing driver it's not set in stone what would happen but it just gives you that opportunity to potentially showcase what you've got um but you're right i mean i've seen competition winners before they've been a bit of a meme um i'd Mm. like to think this competition's quite a lot different given the amount of money involved uh and the similarity between virtual racing and real racing and hopefully you know like enzo benita did at race of champions so you know i hopefully but the winner of the competition will show that real racing and sim racing are not too different yeah yeah fantastic man yeah like i said it just it just shows uh it shows once again that the um you know, communities are so so wide ranging and so different, and, and one thing that's kind of a joke in one is you know perfectly legitimate in the other, and a million dollar package that's that's crazy, and it's and it's good to see that. I guess a lot of the time, I love that um, there's so many similarities between the real sport and the sim sport that you know you can come up from the bottom and you don't have to go through like you said through the go karting and and spending a lot of real life money to come up into that team. You can come through a digital means train online yeah. through your you know after you buy your pc and your gear for those in the us you know you've, you've probably spent two two and a half grand us which is feasible for someone that can work and save up casually or yeah exactly part of full time and then you can land yourself a million dollar contract to be you know raised to get the formula three in theory up, yeah you know That's it. through formula one and it is as simple as that you know if, if you've got the talent uh, you know, you need talent and everything to be at the top level, and you've got the dedication and all these other things in, that you need as a personality. Then, for for sure, all you need is a little bit of money, not too much, and you can definitely make it to uh, a place that you know would not be possible in real life. And if if someone would like to um, learn more about the industry or keep up with the news of what's happening in the industry, are there any specific publications, websites, or you know, influencers that you suggest that they follow? So, I mean, I'd probably suggest following or going to the F1 Esports website, follow Formula One on Twitter and Instagram because F1 Esports is constantly, we're right in the thick of it now. We've just gone past event two out of four. So they'll be constantly mm-hmm. posting stuff about that. I go and follow Gran Turismo as well. They are always putting content up about, you know, their races and their land finals and stuff. And they're really good to watch. Um, 
But I'd also follow Volocci Esports as well because they're so involved with so many esports and they're they're involved with pretty much every racing esport as well. So they have drivers competing in everything. So if you want a good idea of how the whole industry works and how many different games there are, I'd follow Volocci Esports if I were you on Twitter, just at Volocci Esports. Fantastic, mate. Like I said, such a different industry and I learn a lot and a million dollar um, tournament enjoy <laughs> have fun over in the uh, us yeah. it sounds like a blast yeah, it's gonna be amazing mate thank you very much yeah fantastic all right well thank you for joining the podcast and also thank you to listening in we have so many more podcasts coming to you thanks to everyone who's reached out on linkedin um, and offered guests to either be themselves or requests or getting me in touch with other people uh, we've got about six to eight weeks worth of backlog of guests coming up and that's the most that we've ever had our podcast that came out with uh phase clans uh jeff pabs the chief revenue officer is by far our biggest to date and we've had so much um, incoming support thank you very much and as always if you can leave a review on itunes any podcast app that you use spotify whatever would be extremely extremely appreciated thank you and bye for now thanks for tuning into our podcast today for show notes relevant links and upcoming projects you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg 